Oh, hi there. Al Dukes here, coming to you from the WFAN studios, not the Matawan home office. And unfortunately, Paul is not with me. We last did a podcast back in September. But I wanted to bring back some of the interview podcasts that I was doing. And instead of really focusing on people's careers, I wanted to pick a particular topic and delve into it with them. Uh, Lately, I've been really thinking about sports radio as an industry, sports radio in the digital age, if you will. And I have a lot of questions as to why we do certain things in sports radio, why we continue to do them, why we don't change things up. So who could I annoy with this? Well, I've been annoying Jerry Recco on the rides in and out. I've been annoying my girlfriend Gina about this. I yell and scream to Eddie Scazzeri during the program. So I thought, why don't I talk with a sports radio consultant? So I did that. I sat down to talk all things sports radio, including why we do four-hour shows, everything to do with callers, guests. Uh, We hit it all. So if you're a fan of the format of Sports Talk Radio, a fan of WFAN, uh, I think you will enjoy this. I sat down with Jason Barrett, who is a sports radio consultant. So here's my interview with Jason Barrett. Do you get paid to be a sports radio consultant? Yes, I do. Which means what? What do you do? Stations hire you to do what? So it depends. Um, Some stations, you're helping with finding the next program director, finding talent. Like headhunting? Yeah. All Um, right. Some stations, you're working with them on a rating strategy. Others, you're working on podcasting strategy, social media strategy. Uh, Some of it's in-market training, sitting refreshing with talent, talking about things that they're doing on the air, showing examples of how they do things that hit the mark or miss the mark. Uh, In some cases, I've worked with some on trying to just protect uh, clients staying on the radio station because they came under fire with uh, somebody trying to harm the business. So a lot of it is just, it depends on the market, depends on the station. And do you have a large client list? Do you work in smaller cities, bigger cities? A mixture. um, You know, I'm I'm about 10 right now. Really? I'm... uh, thrilled about that that being said like you 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 go really and that sounds yeah. good but when you think about it 10 stations in a format that's got almost 800 probably right. isn't too high that being said this has never been a industry that's put a lot of time and resources into outside support so the fact that i'm in 10 in within three years i'm thrilled that being said if you ask me what my goal is, it's definitely not 10. I want to go further than that, obviously. And you just had a um, a sports media or sports radio conference in right. Los Angeles that you ran. Right. And I saw you had all the big names out there. You had Jim Rome out there. You had uh, Colin Cowherd out there. Yep. You had uh, program directors from uh, large cities. So I was starting to watch some of your uh, clips you were putting on Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing. And I thought, uh, this is a man I want to throw my ideas at. Maybe I'll get into sports radio consulting. (laughs) Maybe we join forces and fix sports radio because I have a lot of items here on my list. Right. Well, let's uh, let's get into them. I'm happy to do that. That's my uh, you're talking about talking about sports radio. It's all I do. Perfect. That's uh, that's why I'm here. All right. Number one, Jason Barrett. Four hour shows way too long. What do you think of that? Um, On the premise? Yeah, of course. On the premise. I think here's here's your issue. Because I, I agree. The the average listener yeah. is in the car for, what, 30 minutes? Right. And I feel like music radio, for years, did four-hour jock shifts. Right. 
And then when sports radio became a format, they just went, yeah, four hours for you also. Right. I've always said, and uh, some of my former hosts will laugh at this, but I used to tell guys, like, listen, there's a reason why you see Chris Rock do a one-hour stand-up. He could be really great for an hour. He can't be great for four hours. Now, comparing it to the other options you have, maybe you're better than the other 50 stations that are producing content during those other three hours. But it's really freaking hard as a sports talk show host to be great for 20 hours a week. But here's the issue. When you start, if I said I'm going to pay, let's say we're going to have a 13-hour day, Monday to Friday, 6A to 7P. We're going to have each show do a one-hour show. We're going to have 13 shows on. Great, and that's good. And then all of a sudden I go, so now let's talk about compensating this host. Uh, How would you like to make X for five hours a week? And they go, well, no, I'd, I'd rather work 20 hours a week. So what happens? Well, in the grand scheme of things, we're going to pay a whole lot more money for talent over 13 hours than if we just paid three or four shows to do the legwork that they're doing. But what if you just cut it in half? So instead of doing a four-hour show, people are doing two-hour shows. You can do that. So it de- it- I think it depends on the market. Here's, here's one part that goes to that. So a lot of it goes to which station are you talking about, what market, what are their expectations. Like you work at FAN. You're talking about the station that started sports radio. There's a lot of money in New York City. Uh, Advertisers buy advertising based on what? Six to ten, ten to three, three to seven. Why are stations typically designed that way? Because they're looking at what advertisers want to fit in those windows. And on top of it, when you've got a guy like Boomer Esiason, you're probably going to want him on the air four hours a week because he's a pretty important personality for people to wake up and spend their time with. And anything that goes on during the other two hours, he's probably going to be better then. So that that's some of the challenge. But look, I don't think your your angle is off because I, I know from looking at data across the country, most audiences listen to a show for 30 to 45 minutes a day. You're talking three hours a week. That's not a lot. Right. And the thing is, it feels like now we're in a very on-demand world, right? So in particular, when you think of a very successful sports podcasts, they might do an hour once or twice a week. Right. Right. So if I'm interested in that host, I will go listen to that one-hour podcast. Here in sports radio, we're asking a host to do four hours for people to drop in and out of instead of it being a, a, something that people go look for. And it seems very strange. Like, I'll get a call from somebody at 8 a.m. and said, I can't believe you guys haven't talked about Odell Beck. I'm like, dude, we just did two hours. Right. But he just woke up. Right. You know, and then you're not doing that or it's not as fresh for the host because the host did their first two hours. They blasted through everything they felt about Odell Beckham Jr. Now you're asking them to do it another two hours, which they did already. Right. I know it's a new audience, but... That's what I mean. And like, if, if you did two hour shows instead of four hour shows, and in a market like New York City, what if, if someone were to, were to ask you, not specifically WFAM, right. but if someone were to say to you, uh, Jason, what does a uh, morning show host at WFAN make? What would you tell them? Well, it depends on who it is. Like, uh, Boomer's probably going to be at a higher tier than right. Greg. Uh, so he's probably going to make seven figures or close to it. So, um, he, So he wouldn't do that two hours for half of that? Maybe. I mean, you know Boomer better than I do. Well, it's not not uh, Boomer because Boomer right. is a, a former athlete, big name. Right. But a guy like, uh, let's say Evan Roberts, and I have no idea what Evan makes. Sure. But let's say Evan Roberts makes four hundred grand. Right. 
he's not going to work two hours a day for 200 grand as opposed to not working in sports radio? Maybe. Depends. Like, I, I mean, if I said to you, Al, you're making 400 grand, I'm going to cut you yeah, in half, buddy. but you only have to do half the work. Yeah, I might think about that. You might, but yeah. you also, that's a pretty sizable chunk, right? Right. I mean, but how many still guys? It's a sizable chunk that you're earning. Yes, but how many guys want to see their bank account shrink by 50%? What about this? We groom the next set of talk show hosts for half the pay, which they're probably getting anyway these days. The company, by the way, is loving this right now because they're going, he's got John Jastrzemski getting paid right. less, right. Uh, but we're going to get him some time. Yes. Evan's going to make less. We're in great shape. Well, it's a great example. So you're telling me John Jastrzemski, right. a guy who who uh, came to us from winning a contest and is very good on the air. Yes. He's a young guy. If I said to John Jastrzemski, you want a full-time job making 120 grand? A thousand percent he's taking that. Right. But that's probably half or a third of what guys are making now. So let's groom these new guys. Yep. So we do two-hour shows. Boom. Listen, I love the two-hour show. Yeah. I think Who do that- I talk to? <laughs> You probably go to David Field here at Entercom. Right. You go to Bob Pittman. Send an email You go later. to, uh, you know, Cumulus with Mary Berner, and you start hitting all of them. And then here's what you got to show. Yeah. If we have a 13-hour day, and I told you it's going to save you 30% yeah. income, and I will keep the talent excited about wanting to do this. And by the way, those talent who you're still paying sizable money to – they're still involved in other aspects, right? right? They're doing video. They're doing podcasts. Yes. And they can make money on that. You might have a conversation. I think the challenge, because one of the problems right now, you look at podcasting, you look at digital, and it's it's growing leaps and bounds. But go to, a, you know, you work with Greg Giannotti and Boomer. Yes. Go to them after doing 20 hours on the week. Yeah. Boomer's also doing TV and say, by the way, we need you to do a podcast. We need you to do three videos. Even if they do it. How good is it going to be? Right. They're gas. They just did gassed. 20 hours a week on the air. It's a right. lot of things to expect people to be great. What about this idea of there are some shows, we are not one of them, but there are some shows that podcast their entire show. Mm-hmm. We podcast probably 90 minutes of it. Do you like shows that podcast the full shows, or do you have to leave something to make people go to the radio, which is where ratings come from and revenue comes from. See, look, some of it can be encoded, which if it's encoded, then, of course, you want people. Works for ratings. Right. It does work for ratings. That being said, I I find a lot of the stations that I've dealt with, um, we just did a podcasting session out at the summit, and we went through some stations with data. And you find that a lot of these replayed shows, that they don't have massive audiences. They do not. And so what happens, like, sure, it's a great benefit for the audience that if they miss something, they can go back. It's a lot of man hours put into just cutting stuff up just to put it out there. I find the podcasts that usually hit are the ones that are original content a lot Why is more that? times. Because think about it. What Barstool's doing with Part of My Take or what The Ringer's doing with Bill Simmons is no different than WFAN doing, doing what they do with Boomer and Geo and right. Mike Francesa. It's original, unique content. It's the only place you're going to get it. So they they don't have 20 other hours a week that they got to focus on Bill Simmons doing a radio show. And then, by the way, here's a podcast. Then they'd have a problem. So because they approach the podcast space the same way you guys approach the radio space, they're pretty good at it. Uh, and they've got, you know, obviously those guys as examples are marketable personalities. they got right. big, big followings. But radio, sports radio in general, I think, needs more podcasting hits. I don't think you're going to get that, though, by just – you know, replaying what was on the radio. That's special in itself. 
that's where the ratings come. That's where the revenue comes. But you got to have other things in, in the fire. And gr- to what you're talking about, like when you're mentioning two-hour shows, I think the bigger thing is, and this is where podcasting can come into play, if you didn't have a two-hour window for the John Jastrzemski, I would be asking you, what are you doing on digital to build the guy's brand? Right. Because that should be a focus for brands. And at some time, at some point, companies are going to have to say, you know what, we need to build two or three things because, by the way, those are our future talk show hosts. Right, because nobody leaves WFAN mm-hmm. unless they're forced out or pass away. So where is John Jastrzemski going to get his work from? Probably have to go to another market, probably have to work part-time for a long time until one day, you know, like right now, Mike's been utilizing him a little bit. Great. It builds some marketability for him. Another local competitor goes, hey, you know what? We like this guy. They, they got a narrow window for this guy over there, so let's pursue him. That's, I mean, that's radio. But a guy like John Jastrzemski, who knew this was the John Jastrzemski podcast, <laughs> He's a New York guy. Joe right. Beningo is a New York guy. Mike Francesa is a New York guy. Yeah. You can't pluck those guys and put them in at the Atlanta Sports Talk Station. They they wouldn't fit. Here's the only thing I'll say to that. I had success in San Francisco with Brandon Tierney, New York guy. Oh. Greg Giannotti did pretty well in Pittsburgh. Sounds New like York you're bragging. Guy. Adam the Bull is doing pretty well in Cleveland, All right. New York guy. So, you ha- look, there are markets, I will tell you. I would not. I used to program in St. Louis. I would not hire Brandon Tierney, John Jastrzemski, or Adam the Bull in St. Louis. There's certain markets where people, you know, in St. Louis, that would be seen as a turnoff. Right. Too too outlandish, too too boisterous. That being said, San Francisco, a lot of people, big business, you know, and they expect that. So it's just, I'm not saying that any of these guys should move, but I'm saying that's just been typically, if you look at the last 30 years, guys who can't get through in the big market – they go out, they spend a few years somewhere else because they need the reps and right. they want to make a living. And then you hope that, hey, over time, if I'm doing well there, I got a case to be made. Got it. Uh, one of the things that really infuriates me about sports radio is the callers. Oh, you love callers. I once worked, I, I got my sports radio start in Tampa, Florida, and we had a consultant back then in mm-hmm. the late 90s, mid to late 90s. His name was Rick Scott. Mm-hmm. And Rick Scott... Uh, pulled me into the office and my program director, and he said to my program director, if you don't get calls to your office complaining that Al is not putting so-and-so on the air, I can't get through, then Al's not doing his job, right? In other words, you have to be really vigilant in screening calls. Mm -hmm. I I don't know, you know, there are some shows here and elsewhere that I think answer calls and put them on the air no matter what. Mm -hmm. I fight and fight with the callers because I feel like they're not bringing me anything that I haven't already, that hasn't already been said, isn't generic. You know, so I fight a lot with the callers. How much do shows turn their show over to callers? I feel like another, well, I'm saying this wrong. I feel like too many shows turn over too many minutes to people when you meet them in public are frightening. Right. Why are we doing this? Well, again, so this depends on the show and yeah. the market. In New York, you're going to have a lot of passion from people. I could tell you in some other markets I've worked, 
that's not as big a deal. Now, some of that passion could be crazy. Like, I've listened to this station that you work at for a long time. Yeah. And so I'll go back to 1996. The Yankees finally win the World Series. Joe Beningo's doing the overnight show. And he takes a call from Jerome, who's pissed off that Jimmy Key's going to be a free agent, even though the Yankees literally just won the World Series. And I'm I'm going, that is, first of all, that's entertainment. Now, is is it nuts? Of course it's nuts. But that audio entertainment puts the host in a position to be able to knock the guy down. It makes people laugh. It makes people look at the radio and go, what the hell is this guy talking about? So there is something to be said about when you get either a great, insightful opinion from somebody or a unique, interesting topic that someone brings to the table or just something crazy that sets your hosts up. I do like that. On the other hand, you're right. I hear a lot of stations that just literally, here's the number, and boom, here we go. And and look, I I could say that about your station. Sometimes I hear that on FAN, and I go, I like shows and personalities who direct the conversation. I don't mind opening the door and inviting people in, but I want people to be part of a conversation. Like when you just go, hey, you know, we've got some Giants, we've got some Jets, Knicks, Nets, whatever is on your mind. Who's running the show? The audience right. or you? So if you tell me we're talking about Odell Beckham, I want to know where you guys stand on this because I think the Browns won this trade and people are calling in to react on it. Great. We're on point. And that's one thing that, you know, when I've run a couple stations and work with talent, I'm big on. And I'm not saying my way is right, by the way, because, look, I could argue as much as I may not be in favor of some of those things with uh, some of the shows on the station when they do that, it works. I mean, who, who am I to say that it doesn't work? You're getting ratings, right? You're generating revenue. People seem to like it. I'm not telling you it's right. I'm saying that there's more than one way to skin the cat, essentially. And so when it comes to callers, I just believe the host, first of all, at the end of the day, it starts with the host. You're the main attraction. You're, the, you're literally the band on stage that people are paying money to come see every day. Then it's what you do with the props inside of that. You know, it's like when you go to a concert and somebody brings up a special guest you didn't expect. Well, that's no different than a guest on a radio show, right? You bring the guy on stage. Well, it's no different than the caller getting into the talk show. So when you take all that, that's what makes it an experience. That's why why people get into the show. But when you have, and, you know, Bruce Gilbert is a guy I worked with at ESPN. He had a great line that he used to echo uh, when we worked together. It was, you never give your keys to the car to a stranger. Don't give your keys to the car. You know, don't give your keys right. to your radio show to the audience. And and I agree with that. And I think it makes a lot of sense. So WFAN is in New York City, the largest market. We probably have the largest amount of sports talk listeners to a station, right? So we've got to be pulling then the largest amount of potential people who could be calling in. As a guy who has screened calls for the morning show for over 11 years, you know, our software will tell me, I, I know people by their name and phone number. So the software tells me how many times they've called in. Right. And to be in this large of a market and for me to know almost every person now who calls the shows, who, if I turn on CMB, I know the guy. If I turn on Mike, I know the guy. I, that shouldn't be. I shouldn't have guys that when they call in, I see that they've called the station 11,000 times. I don't want that guy on the air. I don't. You don't work here. Right. So I don't know how, and I feel like the callers these days are, they're older. I don't know that younger people call. So again, now I'm turning my show over to old guys who are calling me because they're bored, 
calling me because they feel like they have a take on something when they really don't. And there are many times on the morning show where I have no calls up because I won't pick them up because I know who's calling and they're going to call me four hours today and I'm not picking them up every day for months. They still call me. That is in. And now at that point, if I don't pick you, if you're someone who calls me constantly and I don't pick you up one day because you've called, you call too much. Right. And you call me four hours. Then tomorrow morning at six, you call me again for four hours. Now I've got you pegged as a lunatic. I'm never picking you up. <laughs> well, look, first, I think it's great that you pay that much attention oh, yes. to that because I can tell you most guys don't. Um, that being said, look, if, if a guy, if a guy's calling and he's good, more yes. times than not, probably not a bad thing. Now, I don't want to hear him every day. Right. Because then I think you do start to set the expectation that, hey, listen, we have a, it can sound to the audience like we really don't have a big reach because this right. guy's just got through five times this week. So I do think there's something about being selective there. On the other hand, look, I think your point about phones and, the, and especially young people, think about young people today and how they use phones. They're on texts, they're on Instagram. They might be on Twitter. They might be on Facebook, but they're typically in a Snapchat, Instagram texting world. They go on YouTube. You can find audio of people reacting to we're, we're in here today talking while the Beckham and Le, Le'Veon Bell news happened. You can go on YouTube and find people sounding off and ranting about it, and it's probably going to be more entertaining than just like you guys used uh, Sean Morash's uh, right. you know, outburst on the Odell trade. Well, there's a guy who's probably listening to FAN somewhere in New York who just posted that on YouTube today, and you could have put 30 seconds of that versus that guy who called for the 10,000th right. time. But let's face it, that takes a lot of time. Right. And so, you, you know, there is that immediacy. You want people to feel like they can be part of the show. You want that. Feel, first of all, there's always more audio entertainment with a call than if you're just reading a text or a tweet. On the other hand, that's where people react more times than not. And the show, there's, there's a catch-22 here. The show is in more control reading a text or a tweet right. than if they turn it over to a guy who goes off script. But. I've already heard out of a 240-minute show, 230 minutes of Gio and Boomer or Mike Francesa. If I hear somebody else, it might trigger a different reaction out of Boomer and Gio than I would have got if they never went to him. So there's pros and cons to all of it, but I think the point on phone usage is really interesting because you look at the average person, I think that the last time I looked at stats, it was like they use their phone 55, 60 minutes a day. Well, that's almost double what they listen to radio. Are they going to sit and call you like we used to deal with, you know, 10, 15 years ago? They're not. They're not going to wait on the line unless it's that same crazy older guy that you're talking about. So now I know some successful podcasts because they don't, most of them don't take phone calls. Podcasts will use, you know, voicemails. Yep. Have you seen talk radio stations, sports talk stations use voicemails uh, and text messaging rather than callers. Absolutely. And how does um, that work? So I'll tell you, when uh, when we launched 101 ESPN in St. Louis, I didn't put calls on the air. Uh, That's what I'm talking about. We, first of all, again, remember, but remember this, and I, I, I'll share a great, oh, pe- right. a, a great story how it relates to San Francisco in a minute. So in St. Louis, I, I remember a host once telling me the tone of this city is set by Bob Costas and Joe Buck. That's who you have calling. Well, those guys are great information providers. They're very smart. They're good broadcasters. They're not the lunatic calling up to go off because the Cardinals didn't give Albert Pujols a contract. 
So if you don't have that emotion coming through from the audience, probably not going to put the host in a good position to get worked up. So whenever I would, my first two years in St. Louis, I was absolutely terrible. I worked for a station that didn't have a lot of resources, you know, killed half the staff. And it was just a, a completely downward spiral. But during that time, one of the pros I had was I got to hear a lot of people calling and they were all the same people and there wasn't a lot of entertainment value from them. So when we launched this big FM talker, I, I, rec- I recognized that, hey, look, we got good talent. We don't need to do that. We'll rely on text. Twitter at the time wasn't a big deal. And it worked. And people seemed to want to hear the talent. Uh, over time, that station then started, they now have it on their app where people can literally go onto the station's app, hit the button, record their comment. It goes right to the studio. And they'll go through, the producer will, this is good, let's advance this, or this Perfect. isn't. Do you, do you guys have that option? No. Izzo, get on that. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, check out 101 ESPN's app. They have a, I think it's called the mic drop. And people Love can it. literally voice it, and it goes right to the studio, and they decide if it's good or not to go on the air. When I was in San Francisco, I took the same strategy. And the reason, when I got out there, I was competing against the equivalent of FAN, KNBR, massive radio station right. that broadcasts from Mexico to Canada. Okay? They lived on the phones. Well, if I'm going to do the same exact thing that they do, we're going to have a slow death, and I'm going to be out of a format in three years. So I went out, and I said, look, we're in the backyard of Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube. We're going to live this way. And we actually would poke fun at the fact that they did nothing but call. And it generated a lot of reaction. I remember about a year and a half in, uh, you work for Entercom. I know a lot of people in Entercom. Uh, worked for them for four years, and I had some of the corporate brass in town, and they were not thrilled that we weren't doing a lot of calls. <laughs> And I defended my position. I said, look, I, I believe this is the better way to go. And I remember the first day we, we had done, you the way you guys did Jastrzemski, we did a similar thing out there. And um, the first guy who showed up for a contest created his own shirt that said FKNBR. And it was built off of all the promos he heard on the air. And he loved the fact that to get in and meet the talent or talk to the talent, you really had to... You had to say something that was good, like a text or a tweet, we're going to take it. And if the guys read it, that that meant something, right? So we're about a year and a half in, and people are like, we don't do calls. This is killing us. That's why the ratings aren't good. And we do two nights of focus groups, and you've got all these people in a room. And I'm sitting there for the first time going, hey, maybe my strategy's off. I'll find out, but I, I believe in it, but we'll see. And I remember there were like 40 people and the subject that calls came up and they went around the room. Uh, show of hands, how many of you love the fact that we don't take calls? 38 hands go up. And I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, this is even better than I thought it would be. Second night, same thing happens. 36 hands go up. By the end of the research, I had people come to me and go, do you think we should be doing that in other markets? I said, No. Because here, maybe maybe in Portland it would work that way. Maybe in Memphis it would work that way. But in Boston, people are passionate. They, they can't wait to sound off. There, there's so much meaty content every day with Tom Brady and Belichick and all these things that, no, I want to hear what Boston fans think. San Francisco, they already have that at KMBR. They had an older audience there. We're trying to target the 18 to 44-year-old guy. We're not going to do that. So – I know that's a long answer, but my point is, yes, there are, there are stations out there that don't rely on calls, uh, some that have that, that mic drop feature, which I talked about, and some of it is, look, 
There's no there's the beauty of sports radio is there is no guaranteed way to do things. You guys run jingles. Other stations don't. Doesn't mean it doesn't work. It just depends on who you are as a brand, what you want your identity to be, identity to be, and then essentially how the audience responds to it. Okay, let's talk about uh, callers. I don't care for the other thing. <laughs> I don't care for that. I think sports talk radio re- relies on way too much is guests. To me, a guest ninety nine percent of the time is a tune out. I think the big name guys, and we do Eli Manning here. Right. That guy hasn't said a thing in 12 years. Not a single thing. They don't say anything. I think it's uh, if you're if you like the host, I think when you come to a show, you if you listen to Boomer and Geo, you're listening because you like the chemistry there. Right. Right. You're not listening because they get great guests. Because even if you had an A level guest twice a show, was that 20 minutes? Mm-hmm. Out of a four hour, out of an, uh, a four hour show. So if the other thing, if the best thing you do is your chemistry, then when you're doing a guest, you're doing not the best thing you right. do. And then when shows put on writers and uh, I, I, I don't, it blows my mind. So here, I, I got a couple of thoughts oh, on lady. this. All right. So you mentioned writers. Yeah. More times than not, I don't want the writer on. If they have something, they've tweeted it. Right. If it's something, first of all, if I know he's a good personality who also happens to be a writer, sure, because he might add some entertainment in the conversation. If he has an interesting story that has caught fire and people are locally interested in it and it's caused reactions, sure, might make sense. But I look at the writer no different than the radio host. Right. Why does he know more than you? Right. So, okay, if the writer is talking to Greg Giannotti for a quote, it's because he's just looking for another guy who sees the media business the way he does and wants to advance his story. Well, you don't need that guy necessarily all the time unless, again, they're a great personality or have something topical that's important. I always look at, like, and you mentioned the point about Eli Manning, and this is where I'll disagree for a minute. I agree. Eli doesn't say a lot. Uh, I've listened to him plenty of times. I had the equivalent of that in San Francisco, Buster Posey. And Brandon Tierney will tell you he would come to my office every Tuesday and go, this guy sucks. (laughs) And I'd say, BT, you know what absolutely sucks? The fact that the next segment you do, which I agree and you agree is better content, has 50% of the audience listening that Buster Posey did. Now, tell the salesperson who just sold a big sponsorship around Buster Posey Tell the Giants fan who loves Buster Posey, knows he's boring as hell, but are just thrilled that he's somewhere where you could hear him for eight minutes, that you're going to get rid of him because you just don't think he measures your standards and content. Also, think about this, and this is something I think a lot of radio shows lose sight of. You're thinking about the 10 minutes this guy or five minutes that this guy's on. What you're not thinking about is all the other marketing opportunities that happen off of that. So how many newspapers or websites, or other radio shows on your station are now talking about it. Well, if I added all that up, so let's say Eli comes on and he says one thing that's vaguely interesting. The next day, Boomer and Geo play a piece of sound and they have a topic off of it. And then Joe and Evan have a topic off of it. And three newspapers in town write about that one piece of interesting content. And then your audience starts sharing the content, talking about it. Well, think about the marketing opportunity that just got created off of eight minutes that you might agree was not great radio. But how many of your best 10 minutes pieces of radio would have created that firestorm? Probably not a lot. And so that's where I do think, but that goes back to the big name. 
if you have the big name, sometimes you trade off. This is not, to our standards, the most exciting radio, but there's a reason for it. Like in Boston, you know how much marketing WEEI gets off of Tom Brady every week? And there's weeks that he, and, and by the way, he's pretty good, but but Bill Belichick is not exciting on the radio. Right. Okay. But Bill Belichick says one thing, that thing's on Sports Center. that thing's being talked about all over the ra- all over the country. And I go, you can't buy that. That's important marketing. So I, I think if you look at it that way, if you're looking at it from the talk show host standpoint or the producer standpoint, you're going to feel that 10 minutes is not great. If you look at it from the program director standpoint or the market manager standpoint, you're going to go, guys, <laughs> I'll take 10 bad minutes if it leads to all this other stuff. So right. it just, it depends. Jim Rome is a guy that uh, I discovered in uh, Tampa. He was on, we had three sports stations in Tampa, which was unbelievable. Uh, one of them was not local at all. But when I would go to cover the Buccaneers, people, this is 1997, the beat writers would always talk about, you got to hear this Jim Rome. He was on this tiny, barely could hear it station. Yeah. So one day going home, I was like, oh, I'll put on this Jim Rome suit. It was hilarious, right? This was a guy who was attacking, attacking, attacking. He was funny. He couldn't get a guest because he just lit everyone on fire. <laughs> I remember. He got a lot of success. And now guest, 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 guest. And on a national show, if I'm listening, I don't care about Kansas basketball. I don't mm-hmm. want to hear their coach. I don't want to hear Buster Posey if I live in New York. I don't know why sometimes, and I see Barstool starting to do this mm-hmm. now. Barstool built their name and all on being the anti-ESPN, anti-sport. They're now putting legitimate guys on every podcast. What's in it for... Why do, Why would Jim Rome change what made him successful and go so guest-heavy versus doing the thing that was different and uh, got him all his recognition and his fame, now goes and does the opposite. I don't understand. I think I think there's a fine line between the two. I think, you know, when because I've worked on a show like that, Dan Patrick. I spent 13 months on it, and there was an expectation on a national level that, hey, you expect the big names to be heard on DP. If I'm looking at CBS Sports Radio Network, I'm going to expect the big guys are going to stop by Jim Rome. Now, do I want to hear eight of them in a nine-segment show? No. And not big guys. Right. That's the other thing. Well, see, and then that's that's a fair point. And, um, look, I can't – I don't know specifically what Jim's strategy is and what Adam, you know, who produces the show, what they are what they are seeing that's working and not working. They may be getting great reaction for all we right. know uh, to that. And so I'm sure there's a reason for it. That being said, I've always thought, hey, look, at the end of the day, a national show, people are coming to hear Colin Coward, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, because they love those guys. The reason why you're on probably 100, 200, 300 stations, because of those guys. So that doesn't mean those props, the guests, aren't important to those shows. Uh, like, if I'm when I produce Dan Patrick, I tell you, we, we would have five, six guests a day. Why? I'm working with one of the best interviewers in the country. Dan will tell you, he's not the best open segment guy. He's not the guy that's going to light you on fire with 12 minutes of monologue. So, whereas Jim, I think, is different. Jim is that monologue guy. You do want to hear his opinions because he cuts through that way. So, I I hear you. I'm not saying that if they are doing that because I haven't haven't listened close enough to say, hey, they're they're getting way too guest-heavy. But if you're hearing it and they are – then I would agree. I would say Jim is really good at giving his opinion, and they got to make more room for it. And like you said, like I might get only twenty minutes a day of Rome, right? 
And I don't want that 20 minutes to be an Astros pitcher. I want that 20 minutes to be Rome going in on somebody. Right. And the other thing I think with... Are you listening at 45 to to 05? <laughs> you might be getting that. I might get that. At the top of the hour, they typically are going to come out with the big opinion because there's more audience. Oh, uh, yeah, but the top of the second hour, not right. you know, they, they're back to right. normal. The other thing is, like you mentioned, the, the national guys. For us, and one of the things I noticed very early on, Boomer and Carton, is when we would have a guest on, I didn't care how big of a name it was locally, or what, we our ratings would go down, mm-hmm. right? So you got these shows, Dan Patrick, Jim Rome, Colin Coward. They're not making their living on their ratings. Mm-hmm. They might not even look at them. Oh, it's the worst. Look, I, that but was the that, one part I hated about national radio when I did it. I loved how much people put time into content. That was my favorite part of it. What I hated is one day I get called in. You guys are on fire. We are killing it in L.A. and Dallas. All right, great. This thing is awesome. Next day, we got to talk. We got massive problems. Right. New York and Chicago, we're down 50%. Right. Wait a second. Why are we up in these markets? Because Dan Patrick's show doesn't live on the phones and is not a just a hot take, big opinion kind of guy. Interviews are going to play good in L.A. and Dallas. They're probably not going to play as well in New York and Chicago. Right. But you, you never knew which one you were supposed to hit, and that that's tough when you're the national guy. So when you're going through your day, you're all about the local connection and how your ratings are measured and whether or not stations making money on a national scale. You have so many people to please. You don't get caught up in that. You go, great. We're up in Philly. We're down in Denver. Right. So then my argument to that would be is that Jim Rome and Dan Patrick are putting guests on because it's easier to get through that segment. And Rome busts his ass in those monologue segments and those that he, he, right admittedly write stuff out. Yep. He really goes over that stuff. So if you have to do three hours of that, that's a lot of man hours and a lot of work. Oh, yeah. You pop on Shaq, probably a little easier to do. Right. So that's I, why I, think I feel some like... some of that, though, it, and this, I can't speak for every host. Yeah. Because I, I can tell you, Colin Cowherd, I saw it at ESPN, and it continues at Fox. He's in three hours before a show working on topics, and that guy puts a ton of time into his preparation. Now, he still does guests, and I think some of that, because he's on TV, you're going to expect that he's going to have some familiar faces because he's trying to get that guy who's you know inside the office to watch five minutes of TV just to keep the bosses happy. Um, like when I worked with Dan Patrick, one of the best things I learned working with the guy, we would have five interviews a day, four of them be taped. And I could tell you it was a pain in the ass as a producer. When you spend 30 minutes and you have a host going, find me the seven great minutes – I'm going, dude, 28 of these were pretty good. And he goes, no, I don't need pretty good. I need great. And we would go through, and I'm going, we just spent two hours taping interviews that only 28 minutes are going to hit the air. But this guy, first of all, you expect him to have conversations with people because it's what he's really good at. He does care about what he's going to put out there from an interview standpoint and what he can springboard into other topics. So – Like, for example, when you mentioned the point about them getting through their show, I could tell you working with DP, and I don't know how he is now because I don't work with him, and he's got four other guys involved now, so the show has evolved. But at that point, there was a lot of pre-work done to get to the air. And even if you looked at it and said they had five interviews, I would tell you, no, the mindset wasn't let's get through it. It was we think this is what this guy does best. And he's going to be good at seven-minute conversations with people, and leave two to three on the front and the back of this segment because 
That's what he's best at. He's not good at 13 minutes straight on one topic. It's just not who he is. Whereas Jim could go 13 minutes on a topic. That's better for him, but he might not. I don't know if he does or doesn't tape all his interviews, but my guess is he probably doesn't do all that and probably doesn't need to. Maybe that's just not his style. So a lot of it is what fits the individual. And and I'm sure there are definitely guys out there who are going, book me the five guests or how many guys put on the guest at 30 after and keep them to 42 just right. because it's on the sheet. When you go, but dude, the thing was done in 33. It's been dead for nine minutes. So you're right. I mean, that's a radio problem in general. I don't, some of those examples, guys like DP, Colin, I know how they do care about minutes. There's probably a lot more, though, that don't have that approach. But I think if those guys were doing local, if they were doing FAN afternoon drive and they did that many guests, they'd be finished. Oh, I know. But here's the thing. If they were doing that, they'd be out in three months. Because why is it, it's but why is it acceptable? Because it's a different approach. Like, if you're talking to one audience, you got to connect with them on one topic that really matters, right? Like in New York today, you're talking Le'Veon Bell and Odell Beckham. That's what people care about. Nationally, that's going to be a big story today. But so too might be Russ Westbrook going off on a fan. So too might be James Dolan talking about what he's going to do. So you're going to hit three or four things that might not matter as much. Maybe the third or fourth choice in New York today, but might be interesting to the guy in L.A. who or guy in the Bay Area who's thinking about Kevin Durant possibly going. So you're you're always up against like, well, look. I may only get 10 minutes of this guy in San Francisco. He's not going to care when I talk Odell Beckham because Odell's not coming to the Niners. So that that's the game. And so what you try to do, and, and I've done those shows, is I think this works for most people, but I don't know that it works for everybody. Right. But in New York, you got to hone in on what matters most and beat the hell out of that thing. With the way radio is today, you would never, like if I was a DJ on a classic rock station, I would never get to be able to pick one Led Zeppelin song on my own. Right. It would be I would be told what I was playing. Sports radio, <laughs> four hours is yours. Right. You know, I, I watched some of your clips from uh, the conference you did in Los Angeles. You were asking program directors, uh, how much are you on top of your host with top of it? And most of them said pretty much like, ah, let them, if there's a problem, I'll get involved. Right. But it's just a weird thing how music radio, you, you can't do anything <laughs> and then sports Talk radio, it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about for these next four hours. Right. I trust you, though. Well, and look, I've, I've used this analogy before. You know, whenever when I used to program, I would talk to guys, and I'd say, essentially, you're telling me you're Tom Hanks, and you show up every day and just put up a green screen, and whatever you choose to do is great. But you don't care about Steven Spielberg being behind the scenes to help you craft. The, why was the Green Mile great? Because he had the right characters in there. He had the right setting in there. He knew how to build the movie with you. And that goes back to having the trust with a great producer, right? Um, I, we, we were talking before about national guys. You know, DP's got Paul Papps. Collins got John Goulet. Those guys are really damn good producers. And they have a good feel, and they will fight back on things, and they will defer on others where they feel the talent's good. In local markets, I notice, like, you're right. It is the, we got this, we know everything, and – we were talking before about the bad guest versus good guest, right? And you'll have the host come to you, go, that guy sucks. Don't book him ever again. And then the PD comes in and goes, but dude, that shitty guest you told me was bad just did a 13 share. And you're telling me that you don't want that back on the radio. Why? Like you don't have the answer. And, and I think that's one of the, 
things that over the course of two decades, you've been doing this a long time. I have too. You just look at it and go, guys, nobody knows all the answers. Okay. This is a, this is a trial and error business. You try things, you go, that was good. We'll do it again. I don't like it. (laughs) We're not doing it again, but you're right. Talent. A lot of times it's what they find curious, what they've read, what triggered them. And because they're the stars of the show that people are coming to see, you rely on them a lot. That being said, they don't have all the answers. They think they do, but they don't. Now, in a city like New York, here at FAN, we have two baseball teams, two basketball teams, two football teams, three hockey teams. Right. There are still some days when you come in and you're like, what in the hell are we talking about for four hours? Mm-hmm. How does how do cities like Tampa, smaller cities with one pro team, two pro teams, zero pro teams... How are they getting through these local shows day in and day out? It's the hardest part, right? Yeah. Um, I could tell you, you know, using St. Louis as an example, I was there when the Rams literally won three games in two years. And the Cardinals run the town. That That's all people care about. And the Blues, although they're a good topic, um, we, we had a time where I literally put 20 names on a board, uh, 20 guests we had booked, hockey players, in the span of three months. It drove me nuts. And 20 topics we had had outside of baseball season. And I had people guess which number fit with the guest and which fit with the topic. And when they looked at it and they saw 11 to 20 was essentially the blues player and, you know, 1 to 10 were the topics. I'm like, do we get the point here? We got to stop putting all these hockey guys on. They're not doing anything for us. And so, look, some of it goes to what you were talking about, about the hosts having uh, the control of the content. Guys, some days when those happen, they don't make the best choices. Uh, you could talk about it from a producer standpoint, going, no, we shouldn't do that, and they override you, and you, you look at them afterwards and go, see, you should have listened. Some days they override you, they wind up in a good spot. But when you look at examples like that where you have markets with one or two or you know pro teams, you, you usually what will happen, like I could just use St. Louis as an example, you try to think about how do we spin this back to the Cardinals. What's happening nationally that people in our local market would care about today? Like the Russ Westbrook example with him going off on the fan, that could apply to any stadium. So you look for that angle to try to make it somewhat interesting. And, even you, don't have you, to know, be, and you don't have to be a basketball fan right, either. Right, and that, And you look for those things because here's the thing. Nobody really cares in you know New York or St. Louis about the Oklahoma City Thunder. But if you relate it to how it could apply to a Cardinal game or a Giants game, what if this happened on the Knicks? you might get people to listen to the next five minutes, which is all you're trying to do is get five minutes of someone's time. But it, but it's there are days, you you know, you're not going to have A-plus material. You're going to be working with a B, sometimes even a C, and you got to try The good ones have to turn it into, if it's a C, turn it to a B. If it's a B, turn it to an A. Then the other thing I think that's unique to New York, not only do we have, do we have all these teams for topics, but I always wonder about, do Jets fans care about the Giants? Do Mets fans care about the Yankees and vice versa? So if there's a day that's heavy in in something that happened in the Yankee game last night, are we turning off the Mets fans because we're so heavy into the Yankees today? As opposed to a city like Boston, which is a crazy sports town, everyone loves the Red right. Sox, everyone loves the Bruins, the Celtics, the Patriots. Here, it's like, I feel like we're divided. Well, listen, I went through that in San Francisco. It was the... Uh... Biggest eye-opener and something that took me a little bit of time to really get my arms around. And um, it was the same thing. 
you had the North versus the South. Right. <laughs> Two very different mentalities. The Giants fan looks at the A's as who? The A's fan goes, why don't we get the coverage like the Giants? And you go through that here with the Yankees and Mets and the Giants and Jets. And I think a lot of that goes to, like today, I was driving in. I listened to the morning show. You guys did a ton on Odell, not as much on Le'Veon Bell. If I'm a Jet fan, I'd probably go, dude, it's Le'Veon Bell. How do I not get some time? But you just happen to make this move on the day where the biggest personality in New York sports was traded. So you're probably going to be a Jet fan and be pissed off today. But Tomorrow, you'll probably get some more coverage on it. But by the way, you might not. Odell is probably going to be a big story for a few days. Yeah, it's a tough balance on like a Monday during football season. Like I I remember, and and I could tell you, I had a lot of guys in my building who were not fans of what I was doing the first two years in the Bay Area. I literally, we had the Oakland A's on the radio station. And I told the guys, I don't want to hear A's talk. I want Giants talk. And they're like, but KBR has that. I said, do it better. I said, here's the reality, and, you know, and a lot of this is more for the guys listening to this right now. It's, this is inside radio talk. And each market, you look at where is the audience who's essentially going to decide whether or not we sink or swim. Where's our meters in this market where we're going to get ratings? And I would look at it in San Francisco, and it's all in the South Bay, where San Jose area and San Francisco. Even in Oakland, there were no meters. And I would say to the guys, guys, when we put the A's game on, we do a two-share. Now, take a third of that audience, and that's who's going to care about your talk. So we're battling for a point six on the radio right now. Now look at the Giants game. It did a 13 share. Take a third of that audience. You got a five. What the hell do you think I want to hear on the radio? Something that gives me a point six or something that gives me a five? And I had guys who were diehard A's fans who would get pissed off. Like, they've won five in a row. We're coming down the stretch. And I go, and a six-tenths six of a point. Care about it. Sorry. Uh, if you're an A's fan, I'm sorry. We'll create a podcast. we got a pre- and post-game show. We owe them a three-hour game and a pre- and post-show. I don't owe you be- – and by the way, and I would do a lot of A's stuff. I would. I put Billy Bean, Bob Melvin, three other guys on who were players, Josh Reddick, Josh Donaldson. And even then, I, could, I love Billy Bean. I think the guy was brilliant. And his segment – and he was probably the face of the team, if you think about it – would do probably like a five. Buster Posey, who sucked, would do like a 13 or 14. I'm like – I'm not going to even debate whether Billy's better content. He is. But what good is it if two and a half more times the audience care about this? you got to play it from a competitive standpoint when you're doing radio, and the audience don't always get this. If you're a Jets fan and you're a Nets fan and you turn on FAN and you hear Giants and Knicks, you're going to be pissed off. But you have to understand that the station's mentality isn't just about what you personally care about. It's about what do most people care about. Right. And so you got to direct your content there, even if – and by the way, if they're a Jets fan and, hey, the station has some things online, they've got other guys on the station. Like, you may get your Jets fixed with Joe Beningo. You're probably not going to get it with Mike Francesa. Right. So what? You'll find other guys that are doing that content for you. Yeah, it makes some listeners crazy. Like, here – the Nets could be in the finals. It would be tough to talk about them. Right. And we carry their games. You would need Kevin Durant on the Nets. Right. We carry <laughs> their games here. You're the, right. The Knicks are the worst team in basketball, and we can still do four hours on this. Right. And it will get calls. Right. And it will get uh, um, a rating. Right. Versus the other one. Because way. people are drawn to ineptitude. It's the big team in the big building. The owner drives them nuts. There's a lot of drama around that team. And they're the first team. I mean, people think of the Knicks. They don't think of the Nets in this market. And so that's, you know, and, and whether it's Jets versus Giants, I mean, that's probably a tighter one versus two. But I, I've seen, I remember back in the Bay Area when um, 
when the playoffs were happening, I think it was 2013, somewhere around there, the Mets and Yankees were both in uh, the playoffs. The Cardinals and Royals were in the playoffs. The Giants and the A's were. And the New York Times did this piece on social media data of what fans care about in each market. And I remember the entire uh, region of Northern California was all orange. Even in Oakland, there were more people on Facebook and Twitter that cared about the Giants than they cared about the A's based on Facebook and Twitter data. In New York, it was the same. Yankees dominated. The Mets didn't even exist in Flushing in the same zip code. And I'm going, look, guys, sometimes it's not going to make everybody happy, but you got to follow where the audience is. That's that's the job of a host and producer and program director. What uh, is the demo, do you think, now for Sports Talk Radio? So what is it now or what should it be? Because well, those are two different things. They always like it to be, ratings-wise, we look for men 25-54. Is it much heavier on the older end of that? Yeah, it is. It is. And what are we doing to fix that? We're not changing it. I I just had this. uh, You were talking about the conference. Uh, It's one of my points that I've brought up for three years now. Why is it 2554? Right. Because 30 years ago, someone decided that's the format, uh, you know, demo that we're going to chase. And nobody has changed to, you know, nobody's tried to evolve it. Who says it can't be 18 to 54? Who says it can't be 35 to 64, which I know Frances is big on, right? I, I Actually, I agree with his point on that as far as a business standpoint makes sense. If the people who are, first of all, living longer, which he's right, and people are making more money in that demo, why are you chasing this demo that doesn't listen to radio that much? You know, 25 to 34-year-old guy is starting to find out what his life is. He just got a job. He's in the car more. He's going to listen probably two days a week, but he's not that guy who's hooked on the radio like the 3564 as far as this format's concerned. I don't know if it should be 2559, 3469. Like, to me, it's going to be somewhere in there. I think it still goes back to... Who's the guy in the car? Um, if they're not in the car and they're using their phone and it's encoded, great, that works too. And as we go in the next couple of years, when people's dashboards start changing, this will be really interesting because when a guy doesn't need to scan the dial to find a show in a station, you'll find out who the great brands are and who the you know the ones who've been hanging on and getting some of the leftovers are because it's going to be hard to stand out in that crowd. It's just like having a podcast now. Right. Uh, 770,000 podcasts are out there. Good luck standing out. You, right. you better have a brand behind you or you have already been better have been a guy who's built a brand like Frances or Colin Cowherd or Boomer. Uh, but as far as what I think the format demo should be, I would probably say somewhere between 25 and 59, 25 and 64. And how are you reaching those younger folks? Um, <laughs> you better be marketing on social media. Like you guys are doing a lot of video, which I think is smart. Um, you better have a social strategy, not just, hey, by the way, here's our web articles every day. That drives me nuts. Oh, my God. How many people are clicking insane. your web no articles? No one's clicking anything right. on, on, on Twitter. Listen, I could tell you, as a guy who has an independent business and runs a site, it works for me. You know why? Because I have niche content that not a lot of people are doing. But if you're in the mainstream media cranking out a story on Odell Beckham and 100 people wrote that story, good luck. Getting a click. It's all about the personality and the opinion. And so to me, you have to have a social strategy. You've got to be doing video because video cuts through a a lot more than a lot of written stuff does. Uh, And let's face it, some of it, too, is talent. Uh, After a while, if you're a radio station with three guys on the air who are 55 plus, 
you're going to have a hard time reaching 25-year-old guys because there's no way. It's just like, and I've had this chat with, with some talent over the last few years and programmers, when you talk about minorities on sports stations or women on sports stations. Why would women listen to sports radio if they never hear a woman on sports radio? Why would a black guy think that he can get through and work in sports radio if he never sees another black guy work at it? But when they do and people now see Maggie Gray, guess what? That makes another hundred women go, you know what? It's not impossible. Maybe I'll tell my friends to check her out. And so that that's the thing is ultimately this, this format as a whole needs to evolve in the next five to ten years because – the world's changing rapidly, and you you better change with it, or it's going to be tough. If I was in charge of WFAN when Mike Francesa retired, and I hired the part in my take guys to do Mike's show every day in the afternoon, would that have been successful? You're talking about, uh, first of all, I love Big Cat and PFT. Yeah, I think I'm hiring in- those two guys incredibly to, do, entertaining. to do three hours a day, Monday to Friday, would that have been successful on WFAN? I don't know that it would. Why? What would have held you back? I think what, and I'm not saying it couldn't, because those guys are so damn good as talent that they probably could. I think what makes them special is that they don't do three hours a day. Uh, I think what makes them special is that their style of content is not corporately controlled. Uh, when they say something that somebody doesn't like or they piss off an advertiser uh, that's you know got a lot of uh, – let's just say, for example, they pissed off some big advertiser who's not just on FAM but on the other five stations in the building. Right. And that client, just like you guys went through with the James Dolan experience, right, all of a sudden says, we're going to pull all this money off. Well, you know what? At Barstool, they're going to fight that and say, right. tough. Uh, let's uh, – you know, you call call a corporate company and say seven figures are going off the books. Guess what's going to happen? Big Cat and PFT aren't going to be doing certain things. And so that's why I, I, I think also those guys, what they're really damn good at is they are hitting that younger crowd. Right. You could argue, though, will they hit the older crowd with some of that stuff? Because they're not the brand of content built for the 55-year-old guy or the 45-year-old guy. I'm 45. I love them. Um, but does a 54-year-old guy care about them? Would he want to hear that for three hours or even 30 minutes? I don't know. Right, I think that's the battle, right? So you want to get younger. But if you bring in PFT uh, uh, or uh, PMT guys, do you piss off your older group? Right. But would they have brought in a younger audience to sports radio who's not coming no to doubt. sports radio? That part I agree. I think absolutely. Well, someone ha- would have to roll the dice on their career to do that. Well, and I think they are at the perfect place for what they do because they're not controlled um they can really focus on great content and not getting sucked into the model of here's the three or four hour show um they are able to do so many other things because of that because like for example while part of my take is a big deal you, you see big cat doing videos with portnoy that are sports betting themed you see those guys do the rundown videos like they do a lot of other stuff and that's why they're really exciting to follow uh, if they got in here, not only are you doing a three-hour show every day that probably caters to an older audience, which might get the younger one in but might actually flush out the older audience, which you need right now from a revenue standpoint, <laughs> um, do they want to be on sales calls five days a week, going out, sitting in the suites, pushing products with people? I don't know them well enough to know if that would be their cup of tea. I'm sure they do some of it for Barstool, but it has the right vibe at Barstool. For them. Right. Um, talent, 
you'll never get me to second guess that. They're they're tremendous talent. Um, whether they fit, I don't know. It would have been the best fit for them. Like I, I don't know that it's the right fit for either side. But either way, look. Should you have that conversation? I'm sure Cherney did, and rightfully so. Like, when people are that uniquely gifted at what they do, you find a way to have conversation. Then it's, what, what's the fit? Even if it wasn't three hours a day in the afternoons, should they be on for an hour a week on mornings? Should they be on doing an hour in the afternoon? Uh, you know, you got to find a way to build those things because it, be, it could be special content. Now, what about uh, for sports talk radio as far as commercial breaks? How long do you like to do them for? How many breaks an hour and how long each break? Well, so this, you know, this is a really hard one. I'll tell you why. If you ask any programmer, of course, they don't like the idea of 20 minutes an hour being dedicated to commercials, then sports updates, then traffic reports. Like by the end of it, the audience has got a 30 minute experience in an hour. It's awful. Right. Um, So like, for example, I know the sports hub in Boston they do 13 and a half minutes an hour. I love that. I think it's short. Which is normal is what you're saying, like 18 Usually to 20? Usually normal is like 16. An hour. But, but you have stations that do 20. Like like in San Francisco, San Francisco, KBR would do 20 to 24. And I'm like, this is brutal. Um, they also, and, and you guys do some of this, weather, traffic. Right. And, and I did the opposite. I literally would image on the air. No traffic and weather together. We do sports. And why? I'm sorry. If you want traffic and weather, you're going to Winds, you're going to any other place but here. You know what? When's the last time you put on NFL game day on NFL Network or NFL primetime and said, you know, they're going around all these stadiums. I don't know what the weather situation is. Um, I I need my traffic fix. Like, I think in in big cities like New York, yeah, you expect traffic to be on the air probably. San Francisco is a big one like that. But I always looked at that like you guys should do traffic. I'm competing against you. No way in hell am I doing traffic. You know why? You've already established that position. I don't, what am I going to do? I'm going to do the same thing that you're doing and expect to have results with it? No. They're going to you for traffic. They're going to ABC. They're going to Wins. They're going to all those brands. So I, I think some of that, I, see, I don't just look at it as commercials. I look at it all of that. I go updates, traffic, weather, stocks, commercials they're all together anything that's not not content right anything that's not the host talking correct so they're not content so when you add all that up i go hey look what's the number i think the reason why you see people like liking podcasts so much is because they're not hit with all that stuff right they get more content so should it be 10 minutes should it be 15 minutes that of course what it should be versus how you keep your business effective that's a different conversation because you could go tomorrow and take fan down to 10 minutes an hour and all the programming guys are gonna be having a party until six months from now when the sales team comes back and goes so listen we're down 40 percent year to year and eight of you guys got to lose gigs now everybody's not throwing the party they're going hey can we get those minutes back so that's the that's the issue right now is it's all about advertising advertisers want spots on the radio they see it as a premium spot they don't have, even though podcasting's growing in that space. How many how many advertisers have said, you know what, take our money off of FAN and put it on FAN's podcasts? Call me when that happens. Right. <laughs> it, it's it's really hard. Yeah, and it'd be one thing like it, you would then have to retrain the advertising community to say, listen, instead of running eighteen minutes an hour, we're only going to run six minutes an hour, and you're one of those ads. But that ad now costs a lot more because Less people will tune out. Right. You, you there, have to there change the whole industry. That, 
well, and I think over time that has to be done. You look at TV, they're yeah. doing that. NBC has scaled back ads big time. Uh, Fox has talked about doing that. You've seen YouTube, you know, putting shorter uh, six-second ads yes. into things, okay? And so I do think over time that has to happen. First of all, how valuable is it to the advertiser who's running the fourth minute of a five-minute break who's literally the 10th commercial that played? Is that really important or is it just filler because they bought a schedule, they got all these different spots on the station, and they're not sitting there thinking about the effectiveness of each commercial that plays. Whereas on a podcast, you are looking at that because there really is premium placement there. But what you're talking about is a seismic shift for the whole industry. It would be great because I think the advertiser would get better value out of it. The content would be better. Um I, I say the content will be better, but would it? I mean, how many hosts do a great 52 minutes an hour show? Right. And so, see, that's the other side of it. You go, yeah, we got all this extra time. And you go, and my guy just put three guests in four segments. So what's he going to do now? Put a fourth and a fifth? Yeah. Like, you know, who? how many of those guys are uniquely doing great content? What about um, station infighting amongst Hosts on the same station. You, you sound like you speak from experience. So like Gio versus Mike Francesa. I'm sure it happens in other cities. Yes. Uh, sometimes the uh, program director will argue, this is bad for the station. You're making this guy look foolish. Or you're looking like we don't get along. Sometimes it's good because people love the drama of it. Where do you stand on that? I have always said drama draws an audience everywhere you go. Yeah. I don't care what form of content you're in. Drama is the number one reason why people tune into something. Odell Beckham's traded. What does it mean? It's drama. Le'Veon Bell's been signed. What's this mean for Sam Darnold? What's it mean about Adam Gase? Is Le'Veon Bell going to be the player that he was with the Steelers? It's all about drama. Eric Bischoff is a former wrestling executive who I, I did a session with out in L.A., and he wrote a book called Controversy Creates Cash, or it might be Cash Creates Controversy or something like that. Uh, but his point was, this is uh, the, the the car wreck is what people tune in for. And if you have interesting car wrecks, people are going to keep watching. And it's the same thing in radio. So, like, when you guys do, you did the <laughs> Antonio Brown video, which is hysterical. Now, I didn't expect Mike was going to like it. And you know what? Mike's audience probably aren't going to like what you guys did. But Greg's audience are going to love what he did. And so both have an opinion on it, though. So I look at it and go, and, and I think sometimes sports radio guys get so caught up and worried about this. I've had conversations with people. Do you see Josh Ennis get into it at Radio Row? I mean, what a bad look. Really? Is it a bad look? He was on the front page of the Houston Chronicle the next day. His ratings were up the next day. It probably benefited Seth Payne's show the next day. Was it really a bad look? I don't think it was. Here's the thing. It's a, well, but in our industry, we conduct ourselves with class. Our job is to create interest. Our job isn't to make everybody feel – by the way, there are, st there are stations that do that stuff, and sometimes it's, it's an inside rib. But the bottom line is if one – one thing I've always said to people is people are drawn to hearing people talk about other people. Right. So if I hear Greg Giannotti say Mike Francesa is doing something stupid, I want to hear what Francesa's response is going to be right. to it. You know what I just did as an audience? I listened to two times to that radio station that day, which I wouldn't have done if Greg Giannotti didn't say that. That, to me, works. Now, do, can you do that every day? I think that'll get tiresome. Uh, does it have to be authentic, organic? Yes, it does. Uh, but when those happen, like I've seen this at, in Boston. EEI have a lot of that. 
is fantastic. I love hearing when Kirk Minahan was on the show, him go off on the midday show or the afternoon show, and then they take offense with him. And they, and you know what? That station kicks ass, and it's a damn good lesson. So I, I just think it comes down to who your personalities first and foremost are. Because, look, I don't think that would have worked in St. Louis. I was working with Bernie Miklas, Randy Carricker. Those guys are great friends. They're seen as the you know the authority figures in the market, and they like each other. Why would they go and take shots at each other? Now, they may disagree with an opinion on something, and, and that's fine, and that might be interesting, but I don't think that's going to cause an uproar. But when you have natural division on things, whether it's by age, uh, topic interest, uh, just you know awkward personality traits that each guy has inside a building, sometimes that can be really contagious content that people want to listen for. Right. Now, when we give away tickets to a random Yankee game, does that do anything for our ratings? To be fair, I don't know your inside and out, you know, of every time you give away a ticket, give away what it does for a tune-in because I'm not privy to all that data here. So I can't speak to that. I could tell you, using a similar example, in San Francisco, if you had a Giants ticket and they're playing the Pirates on a Tuesday night, it does because people love the Giants. And I would see when we would do them, we'd buy pairs a week, Yes, we get a lift on that stuff. If I did ace tickets, I <laughs> I could have paid them, and they would still wouldn't have taken the thing. So I think it depends. Like, of course, if you have the Yankee-Red Sox ticket, people are going to want that. Do they want to go to the Yankees-Rays game on a Wednesday? Maybe not. Uh, but here's what I, I would go back to is what's the big deal either way? Like, does it, because does it, it hurt you? It, I feel like it does. Okay, so explain then. I feel like it's another commercial. Because what, it is. what percentage of our audience is calling in to win those tickets? Yeah, you're, you're going to get the prize hogs right. for sure. Uh, here's the thing. If I told you you're going to get the prize hogs, but one has a meter, would you still do the contest? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you would. And, and look, I've seen this. I had it in St. Louis, actually. We, one time, I remember this in our first year, we had a guy who every time he called, uh-huh. I would see the quarter hours go up on the show. And I, st- I was convinced by the end of it, and I can't prove it because I never met the guy. But every time this guy called, every two to three weeks, and we put him on, every time his segment, he came on for his two to three minute hit, we'd get a quarter hour credit. I, every time that guy called, I said, keep that guy on for 15 minutes on hold. Get him to the next segment and make sure that we get at least five here. Right. Because I'm trying to play the game, you know? And so that's where I would say, look, yeah, all this is, you know, you're, you're trying to do little things to. A reward your fans, right? I think there's some imagery there, right? You want to be, you're the home of the Yankees. You expect to hear a ticket giveaway there. You want the Yankee fan to feel like the station cares about them and gives things back. And if you can find a way to, you know, turn it into a productive quarter hour, then of course you do it. Well, give me a guy or two or a show or two that you think uh, will be a uh, the next big show. Like next who? Big show. Or how about this? Who deserves? a bigger time slot or a regular time slot who's not getting it? It's a good question. Do, do, do. Because <laughs> so much is sports radio, if you go around the country, it's a lot of guys who are already established right. in their markets. You know, you go to Detroit, Mike Valenti is phenomenal. But he's already been there for over a decade. Uh, look, you have one guy here. I'm a big fan. I like Jastrzemski a lot. JJ. I think JJ's really good. Uh, I think in five years he's going to be doing bigger things. Um you go around, if, if I'm looking around the other side, like I'm a big fan of Joe Fortenbaugh, who's on 95-7 the game in San Francisco. Uh, he just got 
added to uh, that Daily Wager show on ESPN. He's got some sports betting background. I've thought, you know, and selfishly, I admit there's some bias. I hired the guy three years ago. I took a chance, had no idea what the hell he was going to be, but I saw something, and now I see the guy doing pretty well. But I know that guy's going to do bigger things down the road. They're, they're just a lot of when it comes to young talent, you have really no way of knowing. You know, right. you you go. I think this guy's going to be good. It, it takes somebody investing in them and spending two time. That's one thing I'll give. Look, your program director Chernoff, Mark Chernoff, is fantastic at that. You look around the industry. How many guys that guy's developed over the course of time? Bob Wachusen, Ian Eagle, Adam the Bull, Greg Giannotti, like all these guys at one point got thrown out, given a shot, and now look. Mark Malus is hosting a network show. We used to produce like. He's done a done a really good job of that, but I don't know that there are any, you know, and some of it too, to be fair, you know, I've got some clients. I'm not going to put got their it. guys out. I don't want them getting raided, but there are, there are some guys out there. I just don't think you're going to find a ton of them that are like, oh my God, this is like this hidden gem that everybody's been waiting for right? because most of the, the elite talent are already on big stage in top 20 markets. You're going to find guys who probably belong on top 20 markets and have already proven that they belong there. You don't see a lot of, you know, green projects get put out there. I feel like we haven't really had a a talk show host who did something very different in a while. Like, mm-hmm. I think what Rome did when he first got on the air was very different. I think what Pharrell did was very different. I don't know that – are those guys coming to the radio to do that or are they going to YouTube that's, podcasts? That's a great point because you're right. I mean, think about it. PFT and you know, P, yeah. uh, PFT and Big Cat 10 years ago, 15 years ago, would have been coming to a sports radio station. That would have been their only option. Right. You know, Bill Simmons has been launching a podcast network with a bunch of guys. Guess what? They would have probably been coming to a radio station because those options didn't exist. So that's definitely fair. Um you know, there are guys like, like for example, I'll use one guy, Matt Jones in Kentucky, who's built up Kentucky sports radio is now syndicated throughout the state. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, I remember he worked with a guy, Zach McCride, I hired, and I didn't even know who he was. Now he's become a big deal in that state, and he's done it through social media, podcasting, radio. He's expanded his presence into sports and politics locally, which plays well for him. And that guy's under 40, pretty damn good. Now, it's got a sound that probably isn't going to play in New York, but could it work in a you know southern regional footprint? Probably, depending on what that looked like. But there are guys. I don't know that the the twenty one year old guy. I, I think the twenty one year old guy still cares about getting into radio because he's probably you know three or four years into it by now. The question is, what's the thirteen year old kid right now who's going to be twenty one in eight years? What does he think? Like, my, my son, I, I do sports radio for a living. We get in a car. He's like, Dad, really? I got to listen to this? I could care less. Now, every now and then, if he hears something funny, like I played him the Antonio Brown video, he starts laughing, right? And he'll go, oh, that was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, if he hears a host going on a rant about something he's interested, pretty cool. But he's on Barstool. He's on Instagram. He, he's not going to listen to radio. He just won't. He'll do it all through his phone. So now, will that change, though, when he – gets out of high school and he starts driving, probably because now he can't look at the phone all day. He's got to look at the road. But, you know, once that digital dashboard comes into play, it might be a different story. Right. Uh, I don't mean to be douchey with this at all, so I'm looking for what you really think. 
the Mics On app, how do you think, we'll, we'll never really know how it's doing because we'll never really get numbers. How do you think it's doing? Do you think it's it's performing what Mike thought or probably less than he thought? Because that is a diff- very difficult space to try to get into. Here's the thing. I, I love the point Mike made on the air, and I think it was a very fair one when he said, I don't know if the app works with the radio show. Right. I, I contend the app would have been probably more successful without the radio show. Especially if he launched right after Correct. he retired from Correct. radio. Because the thing that makes it unique is the fact you can't get it anywhere else. I can get it anywhere else. I can get it on the radio station that I used to listen to you on and still can listen to you on. That being said, even if let's – I don't know his subscribers. Obviously, a lot's been written about it. Uh, I, and look, I, whether he has – if he had 10,000 people subscribing, is that a success? I could argue it's not. I mean, your biggest brand in New York City sports radio history, and you're on and you've got 10,000 subscribers and a market with 14 million – I would say that's probably not that great. However, based on what is being reported, that would seem like a, you know a monumental task right. compared to what's being reported. But but here's the thing: I, I think the bigger question is, can you make more money that way versus the traditional way? Because if if my let's just use ten thousand as an example, if he had ten thousand people paying nine dollars a month, that'd be ninety thousand dollars a month. Yeah, that'd be a million dollars a year. I could argue. You could probably build something over the next five years that way that's probably going to help you. Versus, and like He's a big enough brand that he could take that risk. If Colin Cowherd left Fox Sports tomorrow, he'd probably have some success that way. But would he make $6 million? That's the question. So if he made $2 million off the app, we would say that's pretty damn successful. But if you, we were talking before about cutting people's salary in half. (laughs) If I said to Colin Cowherd, how'd you like to get your own thing going? You can make two million a year. And he goes, whoa, 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 wait, two million? I'm at six. Well, but look, it's your thing. You don't need Fox and all this other stuff. Yeah, I, I like Fox and all this other stuff because I don't have to worry about whether or not this thing wins or not. I just think it's going to be really hard to build a. Especially if Mike was 35 and had 10 years on the air, maybe he's got a shelf life to build something bigger over the next 10 years. Does Mike want to do that for the next 5 to 10 years? I can't see that. Now, he's a big enough talent that I think he could, you know, obviously he's done it, take the leap. Uh, and, and I understood the point of why to be on FAN to market it because you need the marketing. But you could also argue probably the reason why not to subscribe Listen, I listen to Mike on the radio. I don't listen to Mike on the app. Would I? I probably would have. But is it that important to me when I can get so many other content pieces for free? Right. That That's the hard part. But if you're a, a big-time Francesa fan and he's had a pretty fa- big fan base for a long time, you would think pe- some people would be willing to pay 9 bucks more, at least a lot more than what's being reported. And And even then, some of that stuff, I just feel like, look, when you've been – when, when you've been successful, but you also let people know you're successful, you have a target on your back. Right. And so he's going to get some unnecessary, you know, unflattering and sometimes unnecessary coverage. But it's because he's got people in the media that are rooting for him not to succeed. So, like, I don't get caught up in that. I go, look, if he has success with it, great. I hope that 10 more guys in the business can build build a future for themselves that way. And if I can help them in any way, I'm going to do that. Um, I don't like to see projects fail. 
I just don't know what that upside is for him over the long long haul. One thing I would like to see him do, um, and not that he needs my validation or anything, he's done plenty on his own, but I think, and, and this is something about talent in our business, guys with his platform who are that successful, I, I always say to them, you owe it to yourself to elevate the next guy. Like, I like that he's starting to use J.J. a little bit. You've done this so well. You've already got your spot. When you leave, who's the next guy that you've made made relevant? Like, when I was programming, I always told my APDs, listen, when I leave, and I won't be here for 20 years, when I leave, I want you in this chair. If you don't want to be in this chair, you're the wrong guy to be my APD. If I leave here and you don't continue on as a programmer, then I've, I've done something wrong. And thank God it worked out well. My last two guys are both running stations and doing well. But I think that's important for successful people, whether you're a programmer or a talent, to, hey, man, use your influence to make sure that the next guy or the next three guys come, come along. So five years from now, some guy that you, that you gave a kickstart to is now doing pretty well on the fan. You could say, hey, I had a hand in getting that guy ready. That's the only thing sometimes that I think veteran talent lose sight of that. Because they're in their world, they're they're you know the marquee that everyone's coming to see. But hey, man, a lot of this business is what a, what you do to pass it on to others too. If you are running a sports talk station and a network like CBS Sports Network or a local network like Yes Network came to you and wanted to simulcast one of your shows, do you see a benefit in that, or is that a negative because it may take away some of your even if it takes away one? One person with a meter, does that hurt your ratings or does it? One meter is not going to make me react too much um, unless you tell me that's like the number one guy that's listening to the station and we're going to lose 30% of our numbers off of it. So as a radio station guy, though, do you see the benefit of the show being available elsewhere on TV sure. as well as the radio? Sure, because it's, it's an imagery thing. It's a marketing thing. It can be a sales thing. Uh, look, I, I think... And not knowing, you know, because uh, every market's got these things and some of them are different. But I would say, first of all, is the TV station paying the radio yes. station? We're supplying 20 hours of content on your on your network yeah. that you would not have without this. By the way, you're also hitting the streets at, with your sales team. And when you want the big McDonald's Arch logo inside the room behind our guys because you sold it, great. You're going to make money off of it. That's why you're buying it. So to me, like if you just tell me the radio station's going to get to be on TV, I don't care about that. To me, I- I'm successful. I've got my brand in morning. They need content in the morning. They're, you know, a lot of these regional TV networks, they're known for the game. They're going to be where people go for the game, but they're not known during the day as even a conversation. Like you don't even think to wake up with those, those channels. You think about them when you get home. So I think from that standpoint, sure, are they paying? Well, then that can make it make it Im- important for a radio station. That's why you don't mind the one-meter trade-off because you go, hey, we're making some money on this thing. While on, on top of it, this is marketing for us. Um, hopefully some of these promos will show up in a Yankee game or a Met game, which gets some of that audience to pay attention. So there, there's value in it. But I, I think, you know, the days of just like, like I remember 20 years ago, we would have looked like, oh, my God, we're on TV. This is great. <laughs> I'm like, who cares? Right. Are they giving you money? Because you, by the way, are providing a service to them. You're giving them content. 
And if that's not valuable to them, then I would ask them, then what the hell do you want it for? So to answer your question, it, it can have value, but I, I think some of that's definitely monetary. I'll give you one more final question. In your working lifetime, will streaming ever surpass people listening on FM radio? Oh, I think it will. It will? Yeah. yeah. How long, much longer you plan on working? That I don't How know. How many more years? I, I think a lot of that is going to be driven by the car. Uh, like, look, I was out in... Uh, and so I try not to get too caught up in the future is now stuff. The future. Because here's the thing. I was in Vegas in, in January. I went to this show, CES. Yeah. And, I mean, they the would have you convinced <laughs> that every car is going to be electronic. People will never be in a vehicle driving again. And you will walk out of here going, <laughs> I guess Google's going to drive the road. The roads are all electric. Uh, you know, electric. Wi-Fi is running through everywhere. And you go, wow. And then you go, yeah, but... Is that really going to happen in the next five years? Right. How many buildings are you knocking down? Um, do I think digital dashboards will become a bigger thing? Yes. When they do, then it, it's just like uh, I think Alexa will be a bigger thing in the car, which means when it's when you have voice technology inside a car and somebody goes play WFAN, great. You know why you're why that matters because you've built a brand that's strong enough where people remember it. You got I mentioned earlier eight hundred sports stations. How many are named the fan, ESPN, the ticket? Well, what happens when you say play the fan? <laughs> right. Right? And I'm the guy who's got the fan somewhere else. Right, and you're coming up, and I never – like, and that's all the, the game within the game stuff. Um, I think down the road you will see voice technology be a bigger deal, which, uh, again, is part streaming. I do think digital dashboards, you won't have your FMAM dial somewhere down the road. Is that three years? Is that five years? You listen to some of the car manufacturers, they'll tell you it's coming within two years. I don't know that I, I think it'll be within two years, maybe five. But I think that will definitely change a lot of that um, because then it, it's still going to be consumed through the car. It just happens to be going through an app or voice technology. So you could argue, is it radio? Well, it is radio. They're getting it in the car. It's just coming through a different different channel. But do I think, um, you know, Radio will be this forgotten industry? No, not at all. I think radio, as long as people are in cars wanting to, you know, and have 45 minutes to kill on the way to work, they're going to want to listen to content and be entertained to take their mind off what they have to deal with. Jason Barrett, we can find you at SportsRadioPD. That's on Twitter. Dot com. SportsRadioPD.com, the website, at SportsRadioPD on Twitter. And we can uh, ask you various radio questions like I've done here today. I've peppered you. Ah, it's good, man. I always love talking about the business. So let's go. Um, let's fix the radio industry, you and I. Let's no problem. Team we'll, up. We'll just get Mark Chernoff, David Field, put them all in a room, and we won't let anyone out until it's all switched. We'll make it quick. This is what we do. We get the ball in, and we go. Listen, uh, Jason and I have been talking. Uh, we're going to do no callers, no guests, and two-hour shows. Yes. Good night, everybody, and like that. reduced inventory. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> less uh, commercials. Additional podcasts. <laughs> We will not have any traffic weather yeah, or updates gone. on the station. Uh, talent, by the way, will keep their salary for less work because <laughs> they're going to do other things, and it's going to be great. You're All gonna right. love it. We are solving the radio <laughs> industry. Uh, thank you, Jason. Yeah, you got I it. I enjoyed this. Thanks I love talking uh, sports. Thanks for reaching out. Sports radio, of course. At the end, we do, I'll yell, see ya, then you yell, see ya. Okay. Sure. Then you do your. That was yours? Yeah, then you have to do one similar <laughs> to that. <laughs> do that again. All right, ready? So...
Saw. Perfect. Nailed it. I don't even know if that was see ya. No, it was see ya. I think yeah. I said saw. Well, close. It was close <laughs> enough. 